show this one is with hannah sophia she's a singing person singer voice coach um and just an all-around great person we had a show we have very 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 different viewpoints on a lot of stuff so it was actually interesting to speak with her um i changed my point of view on a couple things and as always it was just really interesting um conversation if you like to have like for me to have people back on the show it's actually important to reach out to them as the guests and tell them like, hey, I got a lot out of your appearance on Talks with Tiger. Um, I always like it. People have been reaching out to me for previous shows. And it's like, it's good for me to know. But then the guests, like, they'll be more motivated to come back on. If someone you want, like like Nick Allen or like some, some specific people that I've had on, reach out to them. Just send them an email, cold email and say, hey, I liked your appearance on Talks with Tiger or maybe a specific part. And it helps out a lot. Then they'll, they'll be more amped to come back on when I invite them. So thanks a lot, everyone. Here's the show. Anna Sophia, how goes it? It goes great. Yeah, so you are a, for right now, local singer, but eventually a non-local singer, songwriter, <laughs> and storyteller. How goes well, it? Well, I've actually been in Eugene for a year. Mm. So um, before that, we were in Utah, and I was a musician there as well, but um, my husband's getting his PhD at the University of Oregon. Nice. So we're here, and I'm doing my music here, but I've definitely pushed for more of an online presence since moving here yeah because it was a lot of starting over yeah and i was like you know what this is probably not the last time i'm gonna move so i've tried to establish a a solid online um, community and presence as well as performing locally yeah are you mostly recording music or do you play live oh we play live so i play with my husband i play the piano and sing and he plays the guitar and sings i like it um and we mostly do home shows that's kind of our nice niche and we like it the most you have people over to your home not our home our home is tiny (laughs) we go into other people's houses who just want to support and appreciate the music and just do shows sell tickets cater desserts yeah that's always we've got one on valentine's day oh nice that would be cool my anniversary is the day before valentine's day it's my six month anniversary not like on valentine's day but we got married august 14th so Wow. February 14th, so our bi- biennial. yearly or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> biennial, biannual, who knows which one. Um, I like it. The, the troubles with that, I'm always like, because I actually used to do the show from my house. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm starting to meet people who I don't really know or like maybe more professional members of the community, I don't want to be like, hey, do you want to come over to my house and talk for an hour? So oh, like, I got how, this. <laughs> yeah, this is a cool space. Yeah. You know, I do so much work out of my house and record and things like that and i live in like a 500 square foot apartment so it's mm. not anything fancy yeah. but but it's just interesting knowing yeah, that it's a, fine to it's have where like, my life is but if you had shows there no like like you don't put on your shows at your house but whoever does put on the shows at their house dozens of people just know where they live you know it'd be like that'd be an interest like i trust people and i'm super happy mm-hmm. but i don't know that'd be an interesting thing i don't think i'd have house shows interesting you know that's like <laughs> Honestly, one of my dreams is to build a house that we wow. can host concerts out of. Cool. Um, back in Utah, there's this p- house called the A-Frame House, um, mm-hmm. and it was actually one of my professors in college. He was one of the music professors, and they built a kind of certain room in their house so that acoustically it'd be like perfect for shows. And then every month they did the A-Frame 
house concert series nice. and they actually didn't have their address anywhere online so you could only get the address if you purchased tickets wow so well, that's pretty interesting i like it and so what got you into music uh what got me into music that's a good question um my older sister i have 10 brothers and sisters so i come from a huge family Mormon? And yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm post Mormon, I guess, but uh, my a lot most of my family still is. Um, nice. But my oldest sister, she just sang and like did music, and I just wanted to sing with her. So I started singing, and then I started taking voice lessons, and when I was probably like seven or eight, um, and then I just kept singing. I wrote my first song when I was twelve. Okay. But it sucked. Yeah. So then Things I didn't write another well. song for a couple of years. And then I just have, like, I think probably till I was about 14. And then I've literally just been writing and singing ever since. So. Yeah. Would it be too personal or was it like leaving Mormonism? That would be a oh. trip. Yeah. I mean, it was a big trip. Um, anybody who's left a religion or lost their religion can tell you, like, it's pretty gutting. Um, yeah to have something that you've held on to and was such an integral part of your life just to kind of have that gone. Yeah. Um, but you can't like unsee or unknow anything. You know, ignorance might be bliss, but when you come to that, for me, <clears throat> that realization of that it wasn't true, like it just was like, well, this sucks, but like this is <sighs> the next step I have to take. So was it like reading a Wikipedia article or something? Or what oh. got you there? <laughs> no, Wikipedia is lame. Um, you know, for me, it was, I would, after my daughter was born, I have a three-year-old. Oh, wow. Um, and thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no one's congratulated me on having a child in really? a while. Really? Isn't that something people do? No, not oh, really. Like when while. you're like pregnant, you know, or like son. when they're a baby. <laughs> congrats. Yeah. <laughs> She's um she's amazing, but after I had her, I had really bad postpartum depression, Ooh. and so I was really struggling. And it was before we moved out here, and I kind of had said to myself, I was like, if I move out there and I don't get some kind of intervention, I'm going to kill myself. I just know eventually my depression will kill me. You were still Mormon at that time. Yes. Okay. And so I was really struggling, and I was like meeting with different psychiatrists, psychologists, trying to develop a plan. And I tried different medications and all of them I just had horrible reactions to. And so, and that's not, that's kind of par for the course. I'm just, I don't do well with medicine. Yeah. And so I found a treatment program eventually that um, actually one of my students recommended to me. And I was like, hey, you know what, I'll give it a shot. And while I was there, I just was doing a lot of soul searching and I realized how like unhealthy my relationship with the church was and wow. how like toxic it had become with these attitudes around the perfection that I was trying to achieve and how much it was impacting me. And my first thoughts weren't actually that the church wasn't true. It was just, wow, I have a really unhealthy relationship with this. Yeah. Um, and then it came down to like then i started thinking about the devil and i was like you know what the devil like this whole idea of the adversary like waging some war against me feels like a cop out for dealing with your problems like a and and out. like 
it, it just felt like not true. Mm. So then I was like, hey, well, I, maybe I just don't believe in a Satan. And then... <laughs> so did you think you were battling with yourself more than like a spiritual entity? Oh, well, I think that... Really quick, if possible, bring it a little bit closer. The yeah. Mic. Yeah, no, that's Beautiful. Really fine. Just because um, it is kind of an echoey room. Yeah, no, you're totally fine. Um, I, I didn't feel like I was battling a, a spiritual entity per se. I just... I had... There's, there were so many things in the church through my whole life that I profoundly disagreed with, including its approach to women and LGBTQ community and the history of polygamy and all these different things. I'd always disagreed with it. And we're taught about the Holy Ghost, which is this, in reality, it's your intuition. Um, but when your intuition is like, or the Holy Ghost is communicating to you, like that's confirming the truth of things. Yeah. And so when I would feel things that were under that category of what would be considered the Holy Ghost, but they were in contradiction to what the church taught as doctrine. Mm. I was told that was Satan imitating <sighs> the Holy Ghost. So like that wove a really strong sense of distrust with my own intuition and myself oh my because God. it's like, okay, hey, well, what do I trust? What comes from God? What comes from Satan? Mm -hmm. It's just very convoluted and confusing, especially as a woman where all of these entities are denoted as male, that there's God who is male, that there's Jesus who is male, that there's the Holy Ghost who is male. And, and Satan. And Satan, who is a man. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about that one before. But yeah, like especially the Holy Ghost, that whole idea, which like really is, I think, one of the most divine feminine things that everybody has is your intuition. And mm -hmm. it's a very like powerful thing that I just felt so conflicted with. So, and, and along with like everything that my beliefs evolving about saying, okay, well, that Satan doesn't make any sense. Then I started when I was feel good and I felt what, had I previously thought was the Holy Ghost, I realized it was just me like being at peace with myself and that it wasn't something I had to earn. It was something that I just could have. And you were what age when all this was coming about? I was, oh my God. Um, like how old was Roughly mid-20s? Well, early I'm 26 20s? and this was like a year and a half or two years ago. So mid-20s, 24. Yeah, yeah, like 20, 24. 24. I think I was 24. -ish. Nice. That's a crazy year for all of that to realize. Yeah, it was really crazy. And then my husband, you know, he's still practicing the 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 religion, and really? there's so much confusion. And yeah, it was a it was a a big transition. I was fortunate that my older sister left around the same time that I did, and so mm -hmm. like I could talk to her. And my husband's like the chillest, most understanding, awesome dude ever. Nice. Um, but and I'm fortunate that we were on the same page for so many things but there was like an initial period after where it was like hey what next like do mm -hmm. we because in mormonism you don't have a lot of examples of spouses leaving the church and then them staying together yeah and so i was like well i want to be with you and he's like yeah i want to be with you too <sighs> and then having to kind of sit and see okay like are i think for him he was like are you the same person initially and you know after a couple of months of just letting the chips fall he's like oh yeah you're the same <sighs> and it just seemed like why would we not yeah. be together like because there's this a difference in belief. yeah just because i want to make you know different choices and stuff anyways it's just it i i'm very grateful that things have en ended up in the way that they are nice. but it was like really frightening for a while 
Well, yeah, because from what it sounds like, they like hard coded in and out where it's like, oh, you don't believe in it? That's Satan. So, you, you know, you can't leave the, the religion without being like Satan gone. Like everyone in the religion could be like, right. oh, Satan got her. Well, and people, you know, they, there's there's definitely like fears initially, not so much now. The more time you're out, the more peace you get with yourself. But I remember like the first time I posted a picture on Facebook of me with like a, this piercing in my cartilage, mm -hmm. which you're not allowed to get Whew, piercings outside of your earlobes. Okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, people are going to see it. What if my, and like a large part of my fan base was Mormon. I was like, what if this alienates fans? What? And then I just felt, but I kept feeling this desire to just, do more and like my photo um for my album art for my last ep uh say hello um i wanted i had this vision of me in a pool of water with floating blueberries and sycamore pods and stuff that it, it was all very symbolic for me but i i'm naked in it and i was like so scared yeah <laughs> and like it's pretty like it's very mild and tasteful you know it's like my shoulders <laughs> up and i was still like ah and um, I don't know. It's been like sweet and endearing to see that that nervousness in myself and to try to be kind and soothing and acknowledge and be like, yeah, I know this is scary, but like what part of yourself are you not allowing to live? Because yeah. people really, they have those kinds of conversations where they're talking about why somebody's left the church. And you know, just this morning, somebody sent me a clip from General Conference where a woman was talking about this this pioneer that had crossed over to come to Utah, but they drink a cup of coffee every day. And that cup of coffee is like what derailed her oh, return to heaven and all of her yeah. grandchildren. And it was just like, it's just, with more space, you just can like see it and it's more neutral. And it's just like, wow, that is crazy. Oh my God. It'd be really weird to see it from the outside, knowing that you believed it for the first 23 years of your life, like wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. Well, and even like, you know, I've always been always, always, consider myself to kind of be almost a pioneer when I was in the church that I was like a pioneer of trying to open people's minds that I was like, Hey, I, I believed eventually the church would come around that it would give women the priesthood that it would, um, accept LGBTQ members and recognize the validity of those relationships and would allow them to be married in the temple. I thought they would eventually come around, Yeah, but, um, I can't tell you how amazing the weight off of my shoulders that came when I was like, oh, I don't have to, there are, I, like, I don't, it's not my job to convince people of this or to stick around and to like fight for this cause. For your whole life and yeah. may not come about. Yeah, because like I literally can be happy and just say, no, that's just not true and yeah. walk away. I have a weird theory, and I don't know if it's true, but my, <laughs> but my, my reasoning for why all religions are against LGBTQ is because I think they were kind of founded by like, okay, the biggest religion isn't going to be taken over by the neighboring religious tribes, and how do you get more people in your religion is you make sure everyone's having kids. So if there's mm. any members who are like, oh, we're going to go off and just be happy and not have kids, they're probably like, no, we don't want you. They just go match up and have kids so we can have the most amount of people so we don't get taken over by... I mean, if you look at Christianity, like the, the vilification of the LGBTQ community really harkens back to Judaism. Mm. Um, there's really interesting stuff. I, this is a, a, like when I was 16, I wrote like a 25 page paper to my parents about why um, le children of lesbian and gay couples were 
like just as well off, if not better off than those of straight couples. And I, I, I'm passionate about it. <laughs> what did your parents think of that? What did your Mormon parents think of their young child giving? Oh, you know, I had a paper? really troubled relationship with my dad. Really, really troubled relationship with my dad. Um, and a lot of our fighting was around me kind of not wanting to, to hear condemning language and unkind words about people who couldn't defend themselves. You know, he was always very like, you know, if he saw a gay couple, he'd be calling them faggots and things like that. And I, it really bothered me. Um, so what did they think of it? I don't, I don't know. Are you very pro-LGBTQ then? I oh, of course. It. Okay, so of I want to ask you something. I said something actually to my last guest, Dirtball. I wanted to bring it up with him because he got really off-put when I said this, but I thought of it, and I'm like, I don't think that was off-putting. So I did say the word, um, and I want you to like like at least let me know, like because this could be totally wrong. I'm entirely open to changing my mind. But we were all sitting in the car before this New Year's Eve party. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, Tiger, do you stretch? Because I was probably just staying there looking all tense or something. And I said, like, no, I'm not gay. Or like, you know, like, but I used like the F word. And it was like, it, like, but then he's like, like, that's not okay. I'm like, everyone should stretch. I think half of all people do stretch. Why would associating gay with people who stretch be a bad, like it was a bad joke, like in the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't really see how that'd be offensive. You know, are things like that offensive? I mean, right. I like I. I <laughs> that's, that's am like the last person asked to cast judgment um, <laughs> on anything because yeah. I just feel like all I can talk about is my own experiences. Um, I do wonder why you'd associate stretching with homosexuality. It was it was, a, it was just anything. Or if it, you'd be like, no, I'm not a woman. It'd be like, but the whole thing is like, well, everyone should stretch. If anything, you're worse off for not stretching. I mean, he's like, that right because everybody joke should stretch. Yeah, like that was my joke of it all. It's like I'm like, no, I'm not like this group of people who's not me. But I like you know like everyone should do. I don't know. It was a horribly crafted joke. Yeah, it's a really that sound. It, I mean, I can tell you that I think the joke is stupid. Yeah, me, me and my girlfriend. <laughs> I don't are horrible know if I, I find it like super offensive or anything, cool. but I mostly just don't understand. It. I, know, I don't know. It would have had to be in the. But moment. I mean, I feel like I identify myself as like probably pansexual, but I I think that when it comes to sexuality, you know, it's a big part of your identity, but your identity is also shaped by like your choices and what your life looks like. You think it's a and big what part you of your present identity? as. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because for me, I'm married to a man mm. and I have a daughter. Yeah. And like so my life I and I'm not like pursuing other relationships with anybody mm-hmm. so I guess in the fact that like my husband hears me say that like you know when we're telling the other person like oh wow that person's really attractive mm-hmm. I happen to say that all people of all genders and identifications are attractive while he typically just says women well he only mm-hmm. says that women are attractive but, what but he, like what, that's like literally the only impact it's had on my life. But how do you know that it's not just because he's afraid of the repercussions if he also says men are attractive? Like I think everyone can recognize beauty. You know? Uh, e- like he's probably yes. like, hey, I don't so, want, you know. Expand your question. Like maybe because he's still Mormon? Um I, I cannot You're taking con- I, him. I can't <laughs> confirm or deny anything about that. That's his uh, life and his choices. Yeah, but anyway, so like I assume there's like this really big thing with straight men, especially like women are more freely oh, open could, to be like, oh, would, women he, are also beautiful. He could beautiful. be like, oh yeah, that guy like has a nice body. Okay, okay. I'm like, just saying a lot not, of guys don't feel like, comfortable saying that. He doesn't have that like um, 
I think, sense of toxic masculinity mm. where he's like, oh my gosh, the thought of other men is like so disgusting. I want to barf. Yeah. It's just more neutral. Okay. I mean, he's just not was, that, and yeah. not that interest. I mean, for me personally, I, I, I would have to have like a really emotional connection to have any like romantic interest in somebody of but, the same gender or of anybody. Anyone, yeah. Of anybody. Yeah. But you can also recognize beauty. Like I'm like, like I'd, I'd watch like a George Clooney or like a Ryan uh-huh. Gosling be like, damn, those are very good looking people. Of any, like their sex or gender or anything doesn't matter. It's like they're well kept. Yeah. And they got a good I bone guess, structure. I guess like to me that just seems like a very normal way to move through the world. Yeah. Like I don't even think about that as, as being strange to just move through the world and find connection and attraction with pretty much everybody that mm-hmm. you meet. Yeah. No, not everybody. So I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's me. You yeah, know, like I, no, totally. I think most people, I, you just, I'm not. There, there's so many different types of like connection and attraction. It's not always like physical or sexual. Mm-hmm. You know, there's romantic attraction. There's attraction within friendship. Yeah. There's attraction within just like even camaraderie and like being bros, you know? Yeah. So that's just, and I love that stuff. Yeah. I love just connecting with, with people, but. I like it. Do you bring your pansexualism into your, into your music to bring it back, bring it back to singing, songwriting, storytelling? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, my songwriting pretty much is just my therapy, you know? Ooh, nice. I just like talk about what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing and where I'm at. And I, some, you know, I, I guess, uh, pretty metaphor will find its way in there every once in a while. But for the most part, I think I'm pretty straightforward. Um, With your lyrics? Yeah. Really? I'm, yeah, just, I just say, say, say it how it is. See, because I, I, I made one horrible album. I don't suggest anyone listen to it, but I was too straightforward with lyrics. I'm like, if I were to redo it, I would have the most vague lyrics you can find, like you can make. Not like mm-hmm. incoherent nonsense. Did you feel exposed? Emotionally? I feel exposed. I feel like it was really hard to relate for anyone Mm. even myself, you know, like later in life. Cause it was just like me in that moment. So it was really cool to go look back and be like, Oh yeah, I really strongly associated with that. Yeah. But then it's like, I think more vague lyrics are just more easily associated with like, yeah, I have that general feeling. And sometimes, you know, so, for people. I mean, I think people can really not uh, understand how significant it is to see somebody completely be themselves and speak from a space of like truth for them Mm. even if it's really specific like we identify with that so i have a song where the first the beginning it starts out and it says it's 12 38 and that's late when you've got a baby i've had chances to sleep but my mind is whispering and i know that you're tired and you love your sleep but at times i get anxious it's hard to breathe um which like that feeling of anxiety and like restlessness and wanting to wake up your partner and struggling to sleep when you have a newborn. Like even if you haven't had a baby, I feel like you can relate with that, that feeling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I like that. That that was, that was in a really good way though. Yes. Well, I mean, I I do remember listening to a five minute song once at a, a song circle where a man sung about, how McDonald's had run out of the Monopoly large size cups yeah. with the little Monopoly squares. And it was like this just rage song. Oh and um, I was surprised by it. Like it was a little bit, 
I would say that's too specific. <laughs> There's another McDonald's you can go to. Too. Well, I mean, it just seemed like because the human experience is universal, right? We're all we're all struggling and overcoming and succeeding. Like we're all in this kind of upward stumble through life. Hopefully upward. Honestly, I think most of the time it is upward. Nice. Um, but we're we're all going through that, and I think we can all relate with what that looks like even if it's not you know like so applicable but when you get when you get into something like that mcdonald's cup you know like yeah. that's that's so to me that's a veil Ooh. of what he could have written about was why something so small and insignificant could have made him feel so much rage yeah you know rather than like i'm gonna fixate on my rage saying i went i had this experience and it woke up this feeling in me and I'm realizing that there is some really unhealed shit here. Trauma. He wanted to gamble. He wanted that McDonald's gamble. We all do. <laughs> Everyone likes gamble. I, I remember being in high school and like, I don't know. I don't even think I'd do it anymore. But back then I'm like, I'm going to win it. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they even put like the two big ones on, like the one in the east and one on the west coast. You can't really win it unless you're like flying, getting McDonald's. Yeah. It's nonsense. I, I'm supremely lazy and I don't eat McDonald's. So even nice. when I like go to the grocery store and they're doing like the McDonald's lottery things or not McDonald's at Monopoly, um, yeah. like Albertsons, they were doing these Monopoly tickets and I got probably like 300 of them, but you have to like, cause you get one for like every dollar you spend. It's yeah. ridiculous, but you have to like scan them all and download this <laughs> app and it's so much work. So I just gave them all to my friend. I put them in, I don't like wasting, but I'm also lazy. So yeah. I was like, you take these. Your I don't. friend wins 10 grand. You're like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Oh, that'd be fine. It's wow. fine. I don't need her money. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't know. There's some appeal to gambling that has always been, a, I think, a draw to a lot of people. Like, I'm not like I'm not going and spending all my money mm -hmm. on gambling. But there's always the appeal. If it's like, I could have a dollar and a shot at $100, I'm like, I'll take that. Like, a one in a hundred chance. You, you know? know, I think that I have been thoroughly purged, just partially because Mormons don't gamble. So, th oh. there's lots of things like coffee, tea, alcohol we like stuff that like i just never was exposed to except mm. for in like the last year so i'm still a, Are baby. You a coffee addict no i don't really <laughs> it seems like an expensive addiction yeah unless you make it yourself then it's like even if you make cents. it yourself i mean it just like i don't know it just doesn't really super so, appeal to me because when i have drank it like i need so much milk and sugar in it for it to yeah. taste good Totally. And then I'm drinking my calories and yeah. it just, I don't know. It doesn't super appeal. I've tried alcohol. It just makes me really sleepy. Oh, I don't like alcohol too I, much. I really like edibles. Ah, that's hilarious. <laughs> so I found one thing I like. Nice. Um, one thing you said there, it's an expensive addiction. So do you have a cheap addiction? Uh, Netflix. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Bumming off your sister's subscription. <laughs> oh, my, it's a free addiction. I like, what, what, what show? Do you watch The Office habitually? Oh, of course. Of course. Nice. The nice. Office. Anything Michael Schur. Like nice. The Office. Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, nice. The Good Place, I think is one of the greatest really pieces of art. I really the first season of The Good Place. And then as soon as they reset for the second time, I gave up on it. I was so like, you didn't keep watching? I watched all the way through the third season, but I hated it. I hated myself. For it. <laughs> once, you, once you get properly invested in characters, you don't care. Like, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It has me hostage. Their new seasons have been awful, but I have to watch it because I'm so invested in the show. Mm. I'm, a, I'm, it's, yeah, I'm a gambling yeah, no, addict. No, I see. Yeah, I, 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 after having a child, if I don't want to finish the show, I just Wikipedia and I read the plot summaries. <laughs> like, that's And hilarious. that's like my way of watching movies or shows that I don't have time for. That's so funny. Like, I, I watched The Witcher recently. Oh, was it good? No. 
I didn't like it. Some people really like it, but that's what I did. I just was like, this is so painful, but I just want to know if they end up together. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, they have been so crafted with millions of dollars to be like the most best good addicting thing. And some shows get me like The Office, I'll watch it for a 20th time sometime soon. Mm -hmm. But other things like it's... um, what was it called? Uh, Once Upon a Place in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred million dollars went into it. And I was watching. I'm like, this doesn't draw me in at all. How does someone have a hundred million dollars and not make quote unquote good art? You know? Oh, man. That's a loaded question to ask an artist. <laughs> <laughs> you got, do you think there's not bad art? Um, no. Honestly. Oof, really? I don't. I, I think that everybody should feel liberated to create whatever. Like Lance and I will go to open mics for dates. And it doesn't matter if somebody like I'm a trained vocalist and teacher. Like I, I know a lot about how to sing well, like a lot, a lot more than most, the average Joe. Mm -hmm. And I can enjoy pretty much anybody like singing or, but honestly, I think that our criticism of art is a direct reflection of our self criticism. So when you're in a space and you're feeling really critical of a piece of art, a movie or whatever, I love and and I get in that space too. Everybody does. I I have found it amazing to reflect back on like what am I judging of myself right now yeah. that is like making me reject totally. this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't notice that until really like you know with a lot of therapy and work as I've left the church and tried to like work with my mental illness. I have complex post traumatic stress disorder, and so. Like, like just all through all of that trauma work and all that therapy, I realized that all of a sudden I was like just loving art and all this stuff and I wasn't critical of it anymore. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? This is so confusing. Cause like it wasn't conscious at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in a family literally that like loved to criticize movies and art and just like rip it apart. And I just, I just liked it all and it was really confusing. And yeah. then I kind of slowly realized I was like, you know, the more I am accepting myself, the more I'm accepting of like, anybody because it takes a lot of guts to like get up and sing in front of people oh my gosh and it takes so much courage to put your thoughts down on a paper no matter how like imperfect they are so no i don't really think there's bad art but you gotta admit there's also like if i was singing right now i'm a horrible singer and i sung flat you could also just be like straight up you sting flat not as it's like right like i I mean you can make those observations right that are just factual but um, I feel like there's different hats that you wear. So if you Ooh. came to me and you were like, hey, I'm wanting help to sing better, then I would maybe have more of that like evaluating hat on where okay. I'm like, hey, I'm going to actually go in. I'm going to help you get control of your muscles. I'm going to help you to, to sing and to feel confident in You yourself. wouldn't have the therapist like there is no better. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Because like, of course, there's like techni- technical yeah. abilities like that Ad- you Adele can. Adele is a better singer than I am. Well, I mean, she's like definitely more uh, trained right yeah. she she has a lot more background and you're skill very set kind. you're very kind <laughs> <laughs> if anything i think that's a slide to adele to tell her that she's not a better singer than someone else if she's practiced her entire life though you know like i think credit credit is where credits do kind of to some yeah, extent okay but i don't feel complimented by someone putting somebody else down <laughs> to make better. me feel better does that make sense <laughs> no totally, totally you know totally. like if somebody comes to me and they say like hannah i love your music it touches me Da 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 da. Emotionally, like the Velvet Underground. Yeah, like yeah. And then if they like, they're like, because I do have people who like when I sing in a a a song circle or something like that, they're like, oh yeah, you were so much better than these people. Okay, well that's not good. For me, that doesn't like that doesn't feed me. No, no, that shouldn't. I mean, it doesn't make me like feel 
well, I guess maybe I react more neutrally to it because I just think that when, like I said, when we're critical of art, it's just because we're feeling kind of stuck ourselves. Yeah. I, it's funny. I've actually said that on the show, but not about art, but of other people. Like if I'm looking at someone, I'm like, oh, I don't like the way that they talk or they look. Mm-hmm. It's because you probably are afraid that someone's going to think that you look or talk like that. Yeah. Or you, you know, but I've never thought of it of criticizing art because all I criticize art when I'm watching. Like if I'm watching, here's my biggest thing. It's a pl- like I'm a big plot guy. Mm-hmm. And Kenzie and I watched like four movies in the past two days. They all, their biggest problem is characters think that they know what's better for other people. They're like, no, I'm going to make this decision to leave. When it's like, clearly, if they just communicated, any any plot that could be solved with a conversation is a bad plot in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. that's the sort of things that I criticize art for is, is like these big things where I'm like, ah, you just prevented me from like getting immersed in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that film is kind of a an interesting medium because you're not really interfacing personally with the individuals um which like it it makes it a little bit different and also to understand the many different layers within film that you when i am like watching an actor i almost am always watching their performance Mm. rather than i am like listening to the script (laughs) yeah just because a lot of times there are like and i also just don't watch a ton of tv like and when i do i like rewatch the office (laughs) yeah right (laughs) you know because they're good you're not you're not watching actors it's like comfort food yeah you know it's like it's something that's familiar and and comfortable and that i can just i can even have it play in the background and i know what's happening love it and so that that that's comfortable to me um but I, I mean, like The Witcher, you know, you heard me say like, oh, no, it wasn't good. Like it was bad. Yeah. I didn't like it. I, I, I feel like that's not me saying like it's a bad piece of art or like it shouldn't exist. <laughs> it shouldn't it's exist. Just, that's it's, taking it further than that I took it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like in my mind, it's just like, yeah, this isn't my cup of tea. I abhor violence, not like <sighs> as really? I, I, I just because of my CPTSD, oh, like cool. what, I'm, I'm really triggered by seeing violence yeah. and like it just finds it way, its ways into my nightmares and stuff. So like a show like that where like there's a, a fantasy element that's exciting mm-hmm. to me that is really interesting to me. But then it's like tons of violence. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to go like read the plot summaries because the plot summaries don't go into great detail about like stabbing people in the eye, yeah. which I super appreciate. <laughs> so it, it's that kind of violence. Did you watch The Handmaid's Tale? No, no. Okay, so that kind of violence that, that is what w- really wrecks me, but I can play Modern Warfare. You know, whereas yeah. that that ruined like that's too much violent for a lot of other people and then they'll watch the handmaids tell them like really personalized violence and rape is so oh, much yeah. more I couldn't, abhorrent I, that to me. That would be way too triggering. Yeah, for but me. then it's like Call of Duty is nothing to me because I have no PTSD from it. Um, uh-huh. But I think like that other thing, I've noticed that a lot of people are okay with personalized violence, but not desensitized violence. I'm like, I think I'm the other way around, which is interesting. I would say most people are are that way you think so i at least in my my circle of friends so i limited obviously very very limited (laughs) like perspective (laughs) here because it's literally just me and i probably associate with people who are more like-minded but in my circle there's like you know a very low tolerance for that personalized violence nice whereas they like and you know stereotypically this is very stereotypical, but my, like my brothers and my husband and like my father-in-law and stuff, they, they'll love like a good war movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, but, that's but fine. It's fine. <laughs> I just don't like it. No, it's to the point I just actually said in the other show too, like if, if you're really close to someone and then their favorite genre is horror, that's okay maybe. But then if like their favorite movie is the Saw movie or something, you'd have to wonder, you'd be like, 
why are you feeding that to your psyche? You know, like <laughs> what goes on when you're in the dark? Because I that's scary. You know, to me. there's there's a really interesting kind of group I've kind of, not really a group, but like a subsection of people I've stumbled upon <laughs> who they use like horror and like this kind of fear stuff as a way of like coping with their trauma, which oh, interesting. is like, I just did, never even thought of it, but it's almost like uh, making a, a mockery uh, of that kind of like scariness, like creates this safety net for them, Okay, which, you know, to each his own. That's not how I fly, but I'm <laughs> fine with that. You know, if somebody like people can do what they want, but yeah. you know, I never even thought of that until I went to this um, Edward Gorey ball over at the um, Spectrum. I don't know if you know who Edward Gorey is. He's a really bizarre man. He was asexual, <laughs> and he was a writer, and he wrote children's books, but they were really creepy. And like, re- okay. <laughs> like you, and it, he was like essentially the father of goth, like in oh, gothicness. Cool. And they're, um, Let's put him they, at a game they have like this whole like, they, they even have this like death cafe where they have a mortician come and talk about death like once a month. And really? They talk about Halloween and like this whole idea of like that That's mocking so... of like death and fear and monsters and stuff. And yeah, that it's like this safety by being able to be so close to the thing that scares them. It's fascinating. That's I'm fascinated really cool. by too many things, but it was really interesting yeah. to participate in. That would be really cool. Um, that's so funny that they put like an asexual goth. Like I assume he just wears all black and then put it at a gay bar, like this most colorful celebration of life kind of place. Well, he's he well he he passed away a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago, maybe like five years ago. <laughs> but he a long he, time ago. he was just it was my first time hearing of him. My friend was playing the cello at the show, and so I went to to go watch. And um, he like had like twenty five cats that lived in his house, and there was a section of house that like got taken over by raccoons, oh and he was gosh. like, "Just let him have it." Oh, that's and too funny. Just a very quirky, very peculiar. But his books were like really. They, they did a couple readings at the at the ball of the children's book, a creepy yeah. children's book. So there was this one. It was like this big black bug and these couple colorful bugs that were little. So the couple colorful bugs were all friends, and then the big back black bug moves into their neighborhood, and he's mean, and they don't like him. Mm-hmm. So they all make a plan, and they shove a rock off a cliff and smash the black bug, and then the book's over. Oh, weird. <laughs> okay. And um, there's this other one. Oh, it was so funny. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called, but it it was like a a pornographic novel by Oddward. It was like a, a pen name for him. And it was very bizarre little illustrations. And it's like this girl who's like, she she went on a date with a very well-built man. And then they did something she'd never done before. And then they went to a party where they met this couple. And like it never is like explicit, but it's really yeah. strange. That's crazy. And then at the very end of the book, they go into this room where there's this sofa. Mm-hmm. And this guy spins a little um, gear on the sofa and it starts making all these horrible sounds. And then she screams and the book's over. See, stuff like that. It's so weird. That's weird. It was really interesting, but like, yeah, it was strange. People who repress their sexuality is almost like a like, okay, do you have like a bunch of pent up stuff like Gandhi? The reason why I'm always kind of hesitant of him is he was like, oh, super against like sexuality and stuff Mm -hmm. to the point where he's like, see, I can bathe and sleep in the same bed as young women, like 13 year old girls. Uh And, And it's like, but I would never touch them. And like, he's all like semen retention, all these weird things. But he's like, I'm asexual. I'm like. 
just have sex with women your own age or men, either thing. But just uh-huh. don't get in this weird, like, overthinking. Like, I think sexuality should be one of the smallest defining characteristics or, like, things you think about, you know? It's almost like a distraction, I think. Huh. But people make but it their whole life. But don't you think that, like, Gandhi, in his approach, would be doing exactly what you're saying, is trying to make his sexuality a smaller part of his being? And I'm speaking as someone who doesn't know a ton about Gandhi. Oh, I don't know. If you read into it, you'll be like, this is a weird Well, I know guy. what you're talking about. Yeah. I know minimally about him. I- I'm just but that'd be, saying that'd be... that for anyone who, like, knows a lot about Gandhi <laughs> oh. and is listening. But... Yeah, I'm probably an asshole for even criticizing him, but I'm like... If you make it a big part of your day to prove to people that you can uh, shower, like bathe with young women and sleep in the same beds as them naked without getting aroused, like it's like at what point are you getting too far into the sexual? Just how about you just don't ever be around women or something if that's your whole dig, you know? You don't. <laughs> so are you? Yeah. Like, I mean, because like I feel like I feel like clearly, it's something that like is clearly a completely different world, a completely different time, and a completely totally. different culture. Totally. And whether being able to make an observation about his personal choices like that, yeah. that were in a very, like, like, I wouldn't say that that actually took up most of his time. No, I'm sure not sense. most. But, like, even the But guy even who when you it comes said, to the idea of, like, sexuality being a small part of your, I don't know, that's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. I just think anytime sexuality is, re- like, you're, when you're repressed, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's probably the most damaging. I grew up yeah. in a religion, though, that where it was like, you're not allowed to have premarital sex, you're not allowed to masturbate, um, that like just and very heavy punishments for women and not for men. Weird. Um, just lots of like really. So my my ideas around sexuality have been just shaped by by my upbringing, where now I find sex to be one of the most awesome parts of life yeah. so <laughs> but like, but like even the, even the recent guy you said like if he he wrote a weird kind of sex novel and then even put it under someone else's name like he's clearly ruminating about sex stuff oh and then well, he's asexual i mean he like that's what got me onto the sex it, like asexual the thing is train the book is, like is a, a parody oh. so it's supposed to be funny okay. it's supposed to be like this like criticism of how obsessed with sex people are mm, and it's just like it's just funny yeah so i i mean it's definitely not i think repressing serious. is the worst way to get rid of uh thinking of sex though it seems like like oh yeah because if you have sex on the mind it's like i think that's when i have only two brain cells in my head you know or it's like <laughs> i think <laughs> i think it's the biggest distraction like you don't think of anything else you know, I I can't relate with that, but That's so funny. <laughs> but then, like, the worst thing you can do is just ruminate. Like, yeah, you know what? Sex is bad. Sex is what's this problem? Not like my own whatever. Just need well, to think through the it. The thing I think that there's two areas that are really well. Three. I'm going to say three. In my experience, that I've seen are areas that are really sensitive and vulnerable because they're reflective of like some of those unresolved traumas. One of them is sexual, one of them is creative, and the other is financial. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to people about money, when you talk to them about creativity and like pushing them to try new creative things, and when you're talking about sex. And I assume um, violence. Sorry, say Like a fourth one, violence? Um, I I never talk about violence, so I don't know. Okay, never mind. I mean, it's like, but like those three areas, I've seen over and over again for myself, for my partner, for friends, for students, are really reflective of internalized like traumas and different things that they're they're going through. Yeah. And I have found that by exploring and pushing into to them, so finding financial security, finding um, like your own sexual voice and being able to feel empowered, 
um, to ask for what you want, to say no to what you don't want, and being in touch with that sexual aspect of yourself and being willing to do creative things, even if it scares the shit out of you, like those are healing of those internal, more subconscious traumas that mm. you can't really access through something like, you know, all the time through talk therapy or things like that. Yeah. They're a little more subconscious. That's interesting. Especially singing. Singing is a really <laughs> interesting one. Like when you ask people to sing, it scares them. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's also kind of like dance monkey. Like if I said, hey, would you just want to sing a little bit right now? It would kind of be like, like just asking you to like, hey, you know, do well, this no, thing. Well, no, even like lessons. Like I have people oh. who sign up to get better at singing. And it's so scary for them. That'd and, be me. And, and like when I, I remember when my daughter was like three or four months old. And I was just dancing in the kitchen and I felt embarrassed that I was dancing in front of my daughter. Wow. And that was a really interesting moment for me to observe myself and to see, wow, like I must be carrying something around that's pretty heavy. And like as I dug into it, I realized that I, I re always really liked dancing. But then when I went to college and like I remember the first dance party I wanted to I wanted to go, but I like said to my sister and my roommates, I was like, I'm I'm a really bad dancer. And they were like, don't worry, everyone's a bad dancer. You just got to kind of go for it. So I went and I danced and I had a really fun time. Nice. And then I came home and my sister, bless her heart, said, like, Hannah, I know I said just like go for it, but I don't think you actually should dance. Oh, that's brutal. And I mean, I, she wasn't trying to, you know, obviously shame me or anything. She was also young and kind of inexperienced, but it was like a really gutting moment for me that I, I put myself out time. there. Yeah. And what I see again and again is people who like, I see older students who their mothers told them they couldn't sing or their children would be like, mom, shut up. Like your voice is so annoying. And you've probably said these things to people in your life. I, I know I told my sister who would get up and sing at seven in the morning. Mm -hmm. I would yell at her and ask her to stop singing. It's almost always the people that are really close to them that were really critical of when people are putting themselves out there creatively. Yeah. People and, have done it to me, so I've been conscious to not do it to other people. I can't sing because of that. I think it's a large yeah. part of it. It's a weird like thing to not be able to let go almost. Well, and the thing is when you find a space, because it's critical that you have a safe that, a safe space to explore your voice and, and somebody that you feel safe with, but most of the time it's not somebody who's family because mm -hmm. they're just, <laughs> yeah. they feel a little too comfortable being critical. And um, I, I've just seen people's lives literally transform by being willing to like step closer to that fear that they have. Mm. And in, in my own self, like I, I've been going to like ecstatic dance and like, da like when I had that experience, I was like, I am going to find peace with moving in my body. Nice. And like when I'm performing, like I'm moving and doing what feels good to me. Nice. So, you know, it's, it's terrifying, but it's so healing. And I think it's the same with insects that there's like all these things that we're afraid of. And it's really reflective of our psyche. And when we find a space that is safe, and loving mm -hmm. to explore that, then we find a lot of deep healing. Interesting. Wow. I don't know how we got here. Sorry, you, I'm you, kind of deep. Do you, you, you listen <laughs> to a lot of psychology podcasts, I assume. You know, not as many as I should. I mean, geez, where do you learn? Did you get a degree in psychology or something, or you just go to? The no, I'm just deeply disturbed. No. That's so funny. No, I um, I just like. I've experienced a lot of trauma, you know? I've been assaulted several times in my life. I grew up with uh, really abusive um, parents. I just came from like a really, I, I had to figure it out. I've been going to therapists since I was 
like 11 or 10 and you know i just i for if you really dig into psychology what you find is it's a bunch of people who were trying to find healing and the same thing in the arts it's mm. just people who are like i'm broken i need to heal yeah. so they taught themselves and they looked at themselves so like i read more books really than i listen to podcasts but nice you may have changed my mind on therapy. I've always been moderately outspoken about it, but you've been one of the most intelligent people I've talked to in the past year. Mm, and thank if you. you've gone to therapy a lot, I'm like, all right, okay, all right. There's something to it because I'm like, wow, you know your stuff. I mean, it's about finding a therapist you jive with for mm -hmm. sure. That's a really important thing. I've, I've spent years in therapy with therapists that I don't really jive with. I feel like you have to respect them. And well, not even just respect him. Honestly, I think it's it's a more intuitive connection. That it's it's mm. more of an emotional kind of like, yeah. I just feel like safe with this person. Really? I feel like I can explore with this person. See, um, for me, it'd have to be someone who I respect. And if they're like someone I really, like, I'd want to be more like. Like that's how. Whenever I hang out with people, I'm like, I generally hang out with people that have at least one attribute I want to be more like. Like my best friend is very kind, just a kind person. Another one's just the funniest person I know. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you go to a therapist and you're like doing like pretty much brain surgery, they'd have to be better looking, healthier, <laughs> wealthier, and smarter, funnier than me for me to like really be like, oh, okay, cool. I'm okay. Like feel comfortable in this. See, I feel like what you're saying comes from like a deep sense of self-preservation. <sighs> what does that mean? So like you're saying, I need somebody who... I can like open, like you're wanting to control the emotional situation. So you're saying I can control how this is going to pan out. If I know, mm. if I have all of these boxes checked, it's all about like, you know, keeping things in a space of safety. Cause in reality, you know, very little about your therapist. Yes. Your therapist doesn't talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. You're there and you're talking about yourself and your experiences. Let's make it more blatant. Would you trust a nutritionist who's obese? Yeah, but why would a therapist... Need, or no, I mean a, like a, a nutritionist, I, a nutritionist who's obese. I, I honestly, I don't, I, it would depend on why. Well, because like, like if they can't help themselves, how could they help you? Like that's my number one thing. Everyone just spouts off advice and then I'll even ask people, I'm like, do you do this? And a lot of people will say no and I'm like... I'm more or less going to probably discredit that advice then, you know, like a lot of people don't actually, you know, like they should be like, they should be someone I aspire to. If I'm going to someone for physical therapy, I want them to not have more injured knees and back than I do. If I'm trying to heal my mm -hmm. knees and back, you know, unless some crazy horrible thing happened, but if they just developed chronic back pain and I'm going to fix my back pain, but they have worse back pain than me, why should I believe them? You know, so I'm just more or less saying the therapist should be someone that I view as I want to be more like. Can I ask you something kind of strange? Yeah. Can I take your hands? Yeah. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> I'm going to my mic in. Yeah. All right. Okay. So. Take a nice deep breath in. Into the nose. Out to the mouth. We're all human. We're all imperfect. Yeah. We're all learning together. Yes. Including our therapists. Yes. And it is good to love and accept yourself. Yes. Where you're at. Yes. Including your therapist. Mm -hmm. Including your obese nutritionist. Yeah. So nobody has all the answers. Nobody has arrived. Yes. And I, I don't know if you would agree with that statement. No, I, I absolutely agree with all that. But you also, your time is very valuable. You get to pick who you spend your time with. And you become more like who you spend right, your time so with. Right, so I'm not disagreeing when it comes to what you're saying about being around people who inspire you. I yes. I love that. I love that. But 
when it comes to talk therapy. And the reason I'm pre- the only no, reason you I'm can't, pressing I, this I'm, you can absolutely is press anything. Think, tell, you can tell me because I know that people who are listening who would maybe be more inclined to be like, oh right, mm. I need to wait till I find the perfect person yeah. to share myself. Yeah. And because the, uh, therapy and like digging into yourself like that is extremely vulnerable. It's extremely yeah. exposing. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, we want to control the situation. Mm. And there's a lot of things we want to control, and we want to just feel like we have a sense of like, this, I'm going to make sure it happens this way. Yeah. So but, I, have a, I have a duality of thought on control. One is, yeah. don't you feel the best in your life when you don't have control over uh, your own body or your surroundings or uh, your financial situation? Don't Ooh. you feel really good when you don't have control over your finance? No. Yeah. Ooh, no way. So, so for every, me personally, every, no, me everyone, personally. everyone likes control, but yes, I also do. am very aware that control is an illusion. We don't have control over anything. Right, right. Even if you have all the money in the world and you're in a safe box, you get cancer. Control is a complete illusion. But if your sister or if your best friend is obese, you're like 60% more likely to gain an immense amount of weight really quickly and become obese. You become the people that you're around more often. So if I'm cho- mm-hmm. if I'm paying money to be around someone, I want them to be someone who I aspire to be, and I say, cool. The more often I'm around them, the more like them I will be. See, and I I'd say that is definitely applicable when it comes to friends. Okay. But when it comes so, to yeah. like hiring somebody specifically for talk therapy, which yeah. talk therapy is literally all about going to somebody and saying, this is an area of my life that I'm really unhappy with, mm. and where I it's more don't specific. where I don't really know what to do with it. So yeah. like for me personally, when I found my therapist. I went for somebody who knew a ton about religion Mm -hmm. and who had a lot of experience with trauma and who knew a lot about um, like faith transitions Mm. and um, who focused on spirituality. Cool. So she had like her, she had a degree in theology and was like experienced in all those areas. No, no. Okay. I I did go to Erica's group therapy a couple of times, Mm. Um, but my therapist, she's great. I don't know if i should say her name but Shut, she she's great shout her out she get a bunch of business <laughs> she's her her uh clientele's pretty packed right now oh, okay. but never mind <laughs> she, she's really awesome but you can see that like I, I when you said if i'm going to a therapist they need to be fitter more attractive da, 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 da. Yeah. first of all you listed a bunch of things that aren't in their control including how attractive they are mm, you so, don't think someone's in control of how fit and someone's definitely in control of how healthy they are and I would argue how attractive they are, how well kept your body. Like, if you're clean compared to dirty. I mean, if somebody has judges, good hygiene. Yeah, like good like hygiene. You can, you can. If they have good jaw posture, if they like clear, like they they eat well, they you know they take care of themselves. Anyone's attractive. I'm saying it's just when people completely disregard general health. Like I think health is attractiveness to mm-hmm. to a large. Like you're attracted to healthy people. You know? I I am very attracted to emotional health. Ooh, if that makes man, sense. interesting. So I feel like even when it comes to like, uh, I I want somebody who is like so okay with their imperfectness and at peace with that. Yeah, you know, I rather than trying to like um, have all these kind of external like proving they're valuable. It's probably way healthier than the way I'm going about it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to push forward. No, I'm kidding. You're probably going to have the most uh, emotionally and every like mentally healthy daughter in the entire world if you instill oh, all this in her. Fingers crossed. Yeah. She's amazing. She's really amazing. Do you think that your trauma made you this way? Do you think if your daughter never experiences trauma, she'd have the capability to become as not, not fake woke, but like as truly awake as you are? You know, um... I remember when I met my husband and 
he just is like such an easy person. He, and he, you ask him like, what are some really hard things that you've experienced in your life? And he is like, you, you know, he did, there's like pretty much nothing there. You know, his parents have been kind and loving and he's just had a good and probably relatively easy life. But he is literally the best man I have ever met in my entire life. It blows my mind that we're married to each other. Nice. You know, he's, and I remember when we first got together, like there was like this sense of anger in me that I was like, because I was raised with this idea very early on that is like, we're, we're making sure that you know life is not fair and that it's hard mm-hmm. and that you're going to go through some bad crap and we're going to start you right here at home. <sighs> and um, I was angry with Lance because he had like an education fund and he, he didn't like, he was a straight A student and he didn't even apply for scholarships. Mm. You know, like he just, I was like, I just wanted him to feel my pain. Mm. Cause I was like, you can't be like happy and not know that life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I've realized that if you say that somebody else has to suffer in order to like be able to like be real or whatever that like you because you turned out fine then you didn't actually turn out fine that's good you know like there's no literally enforcing suffering on others doesn't lead to anything positive Mm -hmm. like when have you accomplished something because you shamed yourself totally like literally the only good stuff comes from love and compassion and empathy and acceptance so i I don't know. If I had more children, mm-hmm. I, I would probably be a much more stressed out person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like I've, I, the, the, one of the gifts in my trauma that I've had is one being able to really relate with people, um, and to empathize at a very deep level. Um, but to also be really aware of like my limits mm. because it's not like I don't have that trauma always following me. Like I, I always am going to be, uh, have a voice that wants to be less patient, that wants to be more angry. And I have to have peace with that, if that makes any sense. That's Especially so in parenting. You, you, from meeting you, and I'm, I'm incredibly blown away and happy, but you seem like the exact antithesis of me. Um, I actually think <laughs> empathy is a bad thing. My whole main saying is good is bad and bad is good. Like they bring, they feed into each other. Hmm. Um, but you seem love is good and then empathy is a good thing. But I'm in, incredibly impressed and like respect you in, in the way that I'm like, wow, like you, you bring up better points than I can even bring up in a lot of ways, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody's journey is different. Like I'm not saying that I'm... I, I, I feel that we best help each other um, when we're ourselves. So mm-hmm. this is like who I am and I try to be myself in my music and as a teacher and in my art and I try to be honest and transparent mm-hmm. and I don't know what your life experiences are. I yeah. don't know what has driven you to where, where you're at, but I think as you try to be your best self, you help others too. Yeah. So you think you go through the world in a vulnerable state, but you're quick to anger and impatience? Um. I wouldn't say I'm quick to anger and impatience because there's a difference between what is actualized and like your actions Mm -hmm. versus what's happening internally. Mm -hmm. So it's more that, um, as I move through the world, I'm having to also take care of that deeply wounded inner child that, and the things that, uh, protected me when I was young, 
So there's a lot of um, defense mechanisms mm, that, totally. that protected me from um, abuse. So I'm kind of, you know, any child who grew up in a kind of unpredictable household can yeah. tell you that you become super hyper attuned to your surroundings mm. and to people's emotional states. Yeah. Um, and you needed to do that in order to see, predict what your parents were going to do so that you could keep yourself safe. So I just carry a lot of that. I carry that around with me. Um, and the voice that wants to defend that because I, I want to be vulnerable, um, because I feel better. Mm -hmm. I'm happier. I am much happier when I am, um, honoring myself and, and being authentic and vulnerable. But when I tried to be that in safe spaces that weren't safe growing up, it led to a lot of heartache and children mm. can't understand that their parents are acting independently of them. So you demonize those aspects of yourself. Mm. So when I'm being vulnerable, I'm also at times facing an onslaught of internal dialogue, trying to crush that part of me and wow. saying, you are not safe. You need to be quiet. You need to hide. And I spent years with like the depression and everything really trying to, only selectively be my, myself yeah. and it's a painful way to move through life. That's crazy. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, cause I don't think I, I, I have a life much more like your husband in terms of, I don't really have anything that uh -huh. I, that I, and, but I go through life more shielded if anything, than a lot of people, but I don't think in past memory, five years, I've ever gotten angry or impatient. I'll be in traffic for an hour and I don't care. I'm just, just chilling there. Whereas the person next to me will be like mad. And I'm like, why? It's just, we're chilling here, you know? Mm -hmm. But I definitely don't ever share myself because I don't believe that I have a self almost. Like, I don't think mm. that there is, um, just in the last show as well, I also like, I talk a lot against people defining themselves. Like, I think saying, oh, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. Like, when people ask deeper questions about myself, I'm like, my whole goal is to not have a deeper self, but to just be nothing, you know? So that mm -hmm. like, I don't think, but then like a lot of people, like, I mean, my partner obviously thinks that she's like, are you like, are you like not letting me into your life? I'm like, I don't even want to like, I just want to be, be nothing, um, pursue nothing, be like, uh, have no, no, um, attraction or, um, diversion to anything, you know, like, I don't know. Sounds like you want to be like Gandhi. Not Gandhi. <laughs> oh my God. But then again, he clearly, oh, whenever someone has like one really weird psychological thing in there that like trips up their whole story, it's like, that's just interesting. I don't know. I, I do wonder where the desire to um, validate or negate the whole comes from. Yeah. Because I think. Maybe it's culture. I mean, we negated all Bill Cosby because he raped women. Is that should that not negate most of him? Well, it doesn't cause him to cease to exist. No, but would you watch his stand-up? Uh, I've never liked Bill Cosby, so okay. I that's, knew. That, that's knew. not like I, I understand what you're saying and what you're you're getting at, but yeah. and I'm not a part of cancel culture, right? But like I I mean, so when I see, but but there's been several times where you've tried to say like. Well, when somebody comes in, if they have one part of their story that doesn't hold up, then I'm just going to be like, nope. Mm. Like you want things to be perfect before you allow them to influence you. Yes. Which you allow things that you don't oh, absolutely. know to influence you. Oh my God. Yeah. Every day, every day. Really? Because you don't every, like, would I, I'm not perfect. Mm -mm. And I, for me growing up, like perfection is one of the biggest tenets of Christianity and the idea that we need to like 
be perfect. And I just think it's, for me and for those that I loved, I've seen how damaging it is because you're nobody's perfect. Yeah. No, and, I, I'm, and, not, and, I'm not saying the, perfect. Well, like even, you know, the, 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 there's kind of these very visual things that you're like, if I can see these things, then I know that a person is like worth listening to. Mm-hmm. And I just personally have learned, most of what I've learned have been from people who I guess by all those visual definitions would be considered very broken. I didn't say broken. I just said attributes that I wouldn't want to be more like. Yeah. Because we're incredibly... So what attributes do you want? Are, are most of them... Like, what are things outside of the physical or that are attributes you want and strive for? Clarity of mind. Okay. Um, That's a great one. Yeah. Just nothing. And I do have clarity of mind. Like, I don't really want anything that I don't have. I just don't want to be influenced by... Like, I hung out with one person... And when I left, I could feel, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like in a, I can feel myself in a worse mood. I'm like, okay, I don't want to spend more time around that person. You you could be the happiest person in the world, but if your four best friends are depressed people, you're going to be depressed. So do you think that negative emotions are bad? Yes. Oh, are bad, but bad is good. Are to be avoided. Are to be avoided. Uh, If you can, yes. I, I, okay. What would your argument for bad emotions should be? I don't think, I don't think that they're okay. So this is this, I hope this answers your question. Yeah. Um, there's no right or wrong. So there's, there's, do you know who young, young is young? Young J U N G. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the psychologist. Uh, Freud's contemporary. And he did like all the stuff around dreams. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that when we have like those negative emotions, that they clue us in to the traumas and triggers that we have. And as we move closer to them, mm-hmm. we are revealed to the true source of pain and we can heal it. Mm. So like young, like I personally, I am a lucid dreamer about 80% of the time. I'm jealous. That's <laughs> oh, a dream. It's horrible. How would that be horrible? That's the cool. Just you're because alive I have twice really as, bad nightmares. Oh, I was going to say you're really along a third of, you're alive and conscious more often than right, most right, people. Right. I guess that's true. But like, I have really bad nightmares. Like <laughs> last night I was being hunted <laughs> <Okay>. for eight <laughs> hours. <laughs> Sounds pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but there was this thing that my therapist taught me about in your dreams since I was lucid going to the thing that was trying to kill me or going towards the negative thing and being like, why are you here? What are you trying to teach me? Like, why, what part of me needs to die? You know, like talking to them. Mm -hmm. And it has been the trippiest thing (laughs) I have ever, like, I am blown away by how my fears, how my negative emotions have reacted from acknowledgement. From, from, because... I think that if you say that you don't have any negative emotions, you're lying, personally. Interesting. Well, do you have fears? Of course. Of course. What's your one greatest overall fear and what's your one greatest overall desire? I mean, uh, I think that's like a core question. That I, think, I mean, you can ask me, but it's probably not going to be very happy. Sometimes. Well, I think everyone has the same one is where I'm coming from. And I think I would have acknowledged both. I mean, so for me, greatest fear would be raped again greatest desire um to have um just 
changed a lot, actually. Like, I think I used to have a really solid idea of what I wanted. Like, it would have been, like, inner peace. Did and, it like, change because you achieved it? Um, mm, I think I just, like, my idea of what peace means has changed. How so? That's interesting. Like, I mean, isn't peace pretty, pretty equanimity? Just, like, just non-attachment, non-aversion, just existing? So... Tension holds your body together. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that the pain that I have has made such beautiful art. Interesting. And the tension, like, it's like peace with tension. Like that it's actually being more okay with things as they are. Yeah. Do you have physical tension? Do you have like any chronic pain? Oh, I have endometriosis and I have. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> essentially, I have blood that pools outside of my uterus yeah. and creates scar tissue. Man. And so it creates really painful periods and just a whole host Do you of think physical symptoms. pain is a manifestation of mental anguish? Um, I think that there is a strong link between emotional well-being and physical well-being. I agree. So, I don't know. I just think that people have... so. The, I'd start rewinding a little bit, but um, no, I, I think negative all. emotions, like I think if you say you don't have them, you're not being honest with yourself. See, I think if people say everyone has them and everyone should have them, I think is um, fetishizing sadness. I don't think that it, it's like everyone has them and everyone should have them. I think it's everyone has them. And by denying that they exist, we create even greater shame around them. Interesting. Rather than like, you can save yourself. Mm -hmm. You are the only one who can save yourself. With talk therapy. And not not just no. talk therapy. Honestly, I don't think I'm going to go to therapy for the rest of my life. Whoa. Look well, at, look at who's to... talking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> A big reason I actually Everybody talk... Everybody doesn't need therapy or yeah. at all times. But if you're like, I have this emotional distrust or this aspect of my life that I am not happy with. Mm -hmm. Or you're struggling with mental illness. By God, go to talk therapy. It's yeah. amazing. Super quick, super quick aside. So you're like, Tiger, you might influence people to not go, but I give, cause I bring it up all the time in shows and I give people really good ex like, like you are probably more persuasive there than I am. So anyone who listens has a new opportunity to be persuaded to go there. So if anything, mm -hmm. I'm just like, I think just bringing it up in no, a non- No, it's fine. I don't yeah. think you should like not have your perspective or that you should think the way that I think. No. I'm just shaped by my experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think- I mean, what is there to be sad about? What is there to be, what is there to regret? You made the best decision that you could at the time. There's nothing to regret there. Well, if life With were that. With the knowledge you have. Li if life was that easy. I think it is that easy. <laughs> and I think that's great. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's beautiful that, that you can, that you've come from a position of privilege to be able to, to like live that way. Mm -hmm. I think that's really awesome. I hope that I can give that to my daughter I hope that um, more people are able to live with, you know, less less pain, less scars, mm -hmm. more simplicity. I think the biggest negative emotion that I feel when I do feel it, which is very infrequently, is uncertainty of the future, like translates uh -huh. into 
an ill, ill feeling, just not, just not like a feeling that, but that I'd like, but then at times I kind of like it and like, like chronic pain, like all of like neck pain or lower back pain that mm-hmm. I've had for a long time from random, just like playing badminton for like way too long without warming up. And it's like, I deserve it. But then if I anything, just- <laughs> I don't think that, I think pain is almost, and I feel I'd be almost fearful for even saying this. I don't think it's always, I think some of the time chronic pain that chronic pain, that's in, unexplainable, like, Oh, I didn't get an injury that caused it. I think is from uh, boredom and it's a way to focus your mind. It's like something that like focuses you if you're, if you're really bad at focusing. Well, I mean, I think that that's like undermining a lot of science. Do you, I think that they're almost, do you think, well, because I mean, you, cause it's, first of all, the term, chronic pain is like a big generalization because yes. there's a big difference between you having like some pain that's come from injuries versus like where I have like a physical condition that yes, totally that like there, there there's like the science behind no, there's absolutely. a lot of illnesses See, I'm not saying, that I'm not saying like, like something pain. that happened to you that caused like if I got a gunshot and it always hurts for the rest of my life that obviously isn't it but like mm-hmm. for me personally I developed like lower back pain when I was young like 16 yeah. and I was really bored at that time and then whenever in life I get really I'm doing something completely goes away and then I've read into it a lot and it seems to be a similar thread through a lot of people who get developed pain that's unexplainable like nothing happened except you were bored a lot and then as soon as you start not being bored you know. have something to I focus just, on because it's it's a point of focus. Everything's a point of focus. I feel like boredom is just not. I don't know. It's something I haven't thought that much about. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm I'm bad at boredom, but I mean, when it comes to like, oh, I mean, have you read much about trauma? Only in the sense that I've read into MDMA therapy a lot. Okay, so not very much. Not very much. Um, a really good book. That I'd recommend to you and to anybody, especially who's experienced trauma. It's a little bit more academic because mm. um, it's written to therapists. But for me, it was incredibly helpful That'd be incredible to, to understand what was happening to my body. Yeah. Um, it's called Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman. Um, and the, the thing about like childhood trauma, especially, or like really intense trauma. Like I know you say, well, you did the best you could and like you're here. So you're good, right? The thing that happens is when you experience something really traumatic, it affects you at a very subconscious level and it really starts impacting your body. Mm -hmm. And then as your body's affected, but you don't understand it. Like you're just like, what the hell is happening to me? And um, that lack of control or understanding of what is happening to your body is terrifying, which then leads it to get even worse. Mm. You know, and to to feel like an enemy to your own body is a really hard and horrible thing. And for victims of like sexual trauma and sexual violence, um, especially in the society that we live in, you will have reinforced outside of yourself a hundred times that it happened. Do you need to go see? How are you on time? No, I'm fine. Beautiful. Um, that it happened because of you, like that it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and the abuse I experienced from my father, you know, he would also say to me like that I'm not the one that needs to change. I'm not the one that has a problem. If there's he's something saying wrong. It as in he doesn't need to change or he's saying it to he's you saying as in he, you don't need to he, change. He's saying he doesn't need to okay. change. Yeah. 
And he's like, I don't have a problem. And like, you're the problem. Oof. You're the reason that I'm reacting this way. Which, if you look at, if I've been alive for 26 years and 18 of them were spent in a unique environment that um, shaped me to believe that I was like, like I became an enemy to my own body. Mm-hmm. And then leaving home, that was reinforced by several boyfriends because that was the kind of relationships that the only kind I really knew that existed Mm. and that I found myself going to um, because literally my entire existence has stated that I exist this way. So in reality, I'm like a baby, you know, like when it comes to even having control of my body and being able to say no and have that respected yeah. for you know so I think it's great that you've been able to not have to go through that yourself I wouldn't wish it on anybody thank you but I, I <laughs> that'd be a horrible thing to yeah it's, a, it's hard you know and I I still consider myself to be incredibly fortunate and incredibly blessed that I have been able to have music that I have been able to have art that I have found a loving partner, that I'm able to be a mother and to not pass on the abuse that I received. Awesome. Like, go me. Yeah. Um, but they, unfortunately, I've learned that my story's pretty, like, it's not unique. Yeah, that's the horrible part. And I have seen it experienced a lot more by women. And often people of color and often people in the LGBTQ community. And so like, that's where I think, you know, people's anger comes from, but especially in the religion I grew up in, man, the women like, and this, this has been one of the things with my husband and my daughter that like, you know, he's, we've always been on the same page that he's like, you know, I didn't live the, the life, like this religious life through the eyes of a woman. Mm-hmm. Like I have been able to turn out fine because I'm a man in this. Yeah. And so he's totally on board with like, Hell no, our daughter's not being raised in that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not being baptized. She's not going to be taught that because I think it's destructive to women. And yeah. unfortunately, the destructiveness of the religion was emphasized at home, was emphasized in relationships. Like, I cannot tell you how often I still get totally tripped up by things that happen with Lance. Like, he'll have a totally healthy, normal interaction. And I'm like, wait, like with his parents or something. And I'm yeah. like, oh, is this how like normal people uh, communicate? Yeah. Like, it's, like, shocking. Yeah. And, you know, you, I'll tell people things that happened to me growing up, and I'm always confused by how horrified they look. Like <laughs> Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Right, because it's confusing to me. Would you ever tell your daughter, or are you going to make sure she never knows uh, for the um, part? She might listen to this in 20 years. You know, I'm really honest. I'm a really transparent person. So if she asks things, you know, like, she knows, because I, I still, like, I still deal with, the effects of trauma all the time. Like I was having a panic attack yesterday and I was burrowing under a pile of laundry because that's what makes me feel better. And I don't like hide that from my daughter. You know, if I'm having a hard time and she knows, like I'll say sometimes like mommy's mind is feeling a little more sick today. And so like, and she's amazing. She's so, she, she actually, She picked up her ukulele, our ukulele. She's three. And she started singing. She said, when you're feeling anxious, just go lay in bed. You will feel much better. It will tell a joke. <laughs> and it's a good idea. <laughs> and, yeah. she, 
It's just... Is that a song she'd heard somewhere or something? No, she's just making it up. Nice. And, like, she, you know, that's so healing for me. I, I try really hard not to make other people responsible for my healing. But I would be lying if I didn't say that, that the kindness um, of my daughter and of my husband weren't significant contributors to to my happiness. And they, they, they've helped a lot with my trauma. Yeah. But I truly, I really try hard to not make people responsible or, or to suffer because I'm suffering. Yeah. Mental illness is not an excuse to be a dick. Yeah. Ever. But, but so what you're kind of saying there is that you go through life kind of shit because you don't want to influence other, you don't want to make other people feel bad. Mm -hmm. You don't want to make other people like, that's why I don't like empathy is because I believe it ultimately pulls people down. I think um, negative emotion and hatred has a stronger uh, pull than positive emotion. I think it's a lot harder for a positive person to bring up someone who's being depressed or is really angry at the world than it is the other way. I think the angry and depressive person more often than not brings the other person down. I mean, look at Hitler. He literally got an entire country of people to empathize with his anger mm -hmm. and just start murdering people. Like that was empathy. You get people to empathize with your anger, your hatred. He's yelling. He's people are like, yeah, they feel the exact um, bodily, like their mm -hmm. heart rate, you know? Yeah. Like the vibration. Yeah. So I think empathy is a very, it's a tool. It can be used for good or bad. And I think it should be so consciously watched. I think empathy without consent, like is kind of <laughs> too common. what you're pointing at. You it's know? too common. It's way well, too because common. It's very important. One, empathy is critical yeah. to survival. Without empathy, we're all gonna die and we're fucked. Yeah. That's that that I can say like very confidently. But, but you, you empathize without your consent but all the time. Can when it comes to consent, that's that's me truly coming to somebody and saying, I have this really heavy thing and I need help processing it. Mm -hmm. Are you emotionally available to help me with that? That's the thing to do. And if somebody is not, one, they have to be honest with themselves. And it's good to find your edges. If you're always a yes person, try saying no. Yeah. If you're always a no person, try saying yes. I like that. Powerful. And just, just find your edges and see see where you're at. But that connection moment, like that's that's very hard. But without it, like I would be dead. Without a doubt, you know, and I still struggle. Like I was talking to my husband yesterday and I was like, man, I'm just feeling right now like I'm a waste of space. And that's, and I, and I, I said, I have a space that I'm allotted here on earth. And when my emotions get bigger than the space I'm given, I'm not supposed to live. That's what it feels like. And he said, Hannah, there is nothing wrong with needing to prime the well. And I said, what the hell does that mean? Because <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> and apparently priming the well, you pour a bucket of water in the well and it helps you get the well going and makes it easier, I guess, to, okay. to, to get water out of the well. <laughs> Old timey stuff. And he said, he was like, you can sit there and, and like be this dried up well and refuse help or, and like you won't function. There is nothing wrong with you going to people and it doesn't always have to be me. And he wasn't saying like I was attacking or anything. He was like, you can ask people, can you help me prime my well today? Can yeah. you just give me a little bit of like, <laughs> just stuff. go to a stranger in the street. Hey, you want to help me prime my well? <laughs> <laughs> it does sound very sexual. Um, but like, you know, going to people that you love and trust and there's established safety and saying, I, and he said, because when you do that, you are giving water to people all day long. 
and you are functioning and you are contributing. Mm-hmm. And if you need somebody, like when those voices for me get so loud that are like, you are worthless and you should die. Like, and there is no point in your existence. That's the and devil that's speaking. The, yeah. Okay. And that's, yeah. Well, that's what I thought forever. It was like, that's your adversary. That's and I'm same. like, no, actually it's just, you know, trauma. Like literally it's just trauma and it's just trying to protect me. Mm-hmm. It's just saying like, hey, we're not safe. It doesn't know. Yeah. It's it, just it old, doesn't have eyes. Old algorithm that's just kind of kept, right, kept right. in you. And so if I need to go to somebody like my partner or my sister or my mother or whomever and say, this is what I'm feeling today or say, you know, I'm, I'm needing a little extra help right now. Do you have 10 minutes? Do you have, and being specific about Mm -hmm. asking, saying, Hey, this is what I'm needing right now. Could you give that to me right now? And if they say no, not being, being respectful of that, Mm -hmm. because that's fine Yeah. by people feeling safe and comfortable saying, no, I think that's awesome. And the thing is, empathy doesn't take very long. Like really healthy, wonderful, beautiful empathy. It's usually just listening mm-hmm. and then being like, at least for me, that it's like, hey, this is what the voices inside my head are telling me and I'm kind of stressing out. And having somebody, and this is mostly what my therapist fills this role in my life, honestly, is she says, okay, that's actually not you talking. That's the inner judge and it's not true. Mm. And I go, oh, okay, good, thank you. Yeah. And I can just keep going. That's but like I need she that says just the inner you as a judge, the inner well, judge, that, that that inner judge, like that voice that's like, hey, like you suck and like blah 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 blah. Do you think that's the inner you? No, she says that's your inner judge. Okay. She says that's not you. Yeah. That's your inner judge. So it's my internalized parent, really. Yeah. Okay. Like it's an internalized version of that's what I heard. Yeah. That I it, and so it's just there, but being able to like separate it as not being me mm. is like really awesome. I nice. feel and I feel great, but. It also has to so be balanced. So can't you separate all bad feelings as not being you? Wouldn't that be an oh, extension of that same thing? That would that be so awesome, thing? right? You could, you, could. you could hypothetically see that as a possibility, a progression of that though, right? Is like well, any sort of anxiety. of help. Yeah, anxiety I mean, or depression. It's all like, it's not like, yeah, it could totally feel like it in the moment, but you cannot like, and it might not just be as easy as like, I rationally know, or it might not help that much, but you could, you can intellectually see that as being the progression as being like, none of it's me. None of it's, you know, you're not your depression. You're not your Well, anxiety. you're not your happy feelings either. No, I don't like think so. Like you're just the observer. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's absolutely. Open. But when it comes to like, hey, I'm trying to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to stay alive. Mm-hmm. No, totally. <laughs> um, that there's like, I think ignoring, especially, uh, you know, the impacts of trauma are just so profound and everybody has trauma, but you know, it, it goes into your body and you can't always understand it. And if you run away from it, you can't do that. You can't actually get to a point where you're like, okay, and this is not me. Yeah. And there's like hormones and so many things that, oh, that yeah. impact it, a whole world you of know, things. like it, and it's, I don't know. I've tried, I, I don't have answers. I just no. know what's like for me, it's a continual process and knowing that there's like certain times it, it actually is more comforting to me too to be able to like distance myself from the emotions if I know more about what's happening in my body. Nice. So if I'm like, oh, I'm about to start my period, I'm really sensitive to estrogen, this is probably meaning that I'm gonna feel more depressed and by just like tracking my period, doing that one thing, yeah. like allows me to separate from those feelings because instead of feeling panicked Mm. when I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm having all these negative thoughts and I'm feeling really crappy and what's happening. I feel I can look at my phone and be like, Oh, my period's almost here. Okay. This isn't me. It's hormonal. And so the, like all those pieces help, 
Um, but you but can't you can't just we, like dig into the, all that negative stuff. It has to be met with like no. filling your life with a lot of positive things yeah. and finding things that you do want to do and pleasant activities. Yeah. And um, I think that's where like art kind of is an interesting intersection for me because I talk about a lot of my negative feelings, but actually performing and like writing music is like a total blast. Nice. Like it's a high, you yeah. know, it's really exciting. Yeah. Especially like singing it. with other people. <laughs> That'd be cool, like a choir thing or acapella or just. Oh, multiple. I've I've done song circles. I lead a women's vocal group that's here in Eugene. Nice. Um, Can I identify as a woman and join? Uh no, <sighs> bio women only. Exclusionary. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally giving you. No, it's it it really like <laughs> I guess it is a little bit. Well, it's probably like a safer but, yeah. But um we, uh, yeah, it is for bio women only, which is I guess probably would be unpopular with some people. No, just a small, small group of people on the internet. No, I I mean, I I do think that there needs to be spaces for women and trans women. This just happens to be, it wasn't my choice. It was the consensus of the group that they wanted it to be for bio women only. And so I said, okay, that's fine. But so, so I'm not even trying to delve into it too far again, but but so you see that by foreseeing that you're going to feel bad and understanding why you feel bad dissipates the feeling bad to a certain extent. Yeah. You can do that with all the feeling bad. No, I'm not saying I, I right, can do that right. yet. Or so I'm finding, fi- I'm finding, finding um, the reason why you're feeling bad. Totally. It's a bit of a journey. And just looking know? at it and just looking at it and being like, Journaling is this really worth it? Journaling can be really helpful. Um, you know, identifying a huge thing for me has been identifying what's actually mine. Ooh. Because a lot of times, like, it was interesting that you said, you know, I hang out with people and then, like, I feel really negative and I don't want to hang out with them. Just a couple. Not very right. often. Again, I don't hang out with those people again. Right, right. So there's, um, I, I can relate with that a lot in terms of, I feel like, like I said, I'm really sensitive to people's emotions, so I'm very empathic and I pick up on what people are feeling and so I can walk out of a situation and really feel it. But I can identify and say, okay, is this even mine? Or is this something yeah. I just like picked up? Yeah. And it could be something that I picked up from someone I hung out with. It could be something that I just picked up and learned from my parents for 18 years. And I was like, I don't even feel that way. <laughs> like, why am I thinking that? Yeah, you know, totally. like when it came to like, you know, early sexual experiences that I had, I remember feeling even after like coming way farther down the road and being like women and whoever should be able to have sex with whomever they want, whenever they want. <laughs> and it's fine that I didn't realize I still felt ashamed about early sexual experiences I had till I was talking to my husband about it. And then I was like, wow, hmm, I still have shame around this. How bizarre. I guess I picked that up from my parents. And just by acknowledging it and being like, oh, that's not even mine. I was mm-hmm. able to just totally let it go and separate from it. Nice. So that's like a lot of, it takes a lot of, you know, I would. I could, inner I work and I've, journaling helps a lot because then you're actually seeing your thoughts. Speaking them out loud to somebody else really helps, especially if they can kind of challenge you on it and be like, so yeah. is that what you really think? Like, yeah. Why do you, what do you think is going to happen if you do that? You know? No, that's a really good point. I, I, I agree with a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so when you sing, do you sing about your life or do you th- sing about, um, like, do you sing about happy or sad things in a happy way? Hmm. Both. Nice. Whatever. Sick. Do you change it based on the album? Cause if I were to do another album, I would just want it to be happy dance music. Oh, I love happy dance music. Nice. Um, I wish I could control a little bit more what I wrote. I, I've tried, but then it just kind of slows down my writing. Oh, interesting. So I just say, whatever's coming out is coming out. Yeah. Um, and my writing changed a lot with having a baby because before I had a baby, I was like, I could just write whenever I wanted, whatever I wanted, and yeah. I would obsess and fix and write a song until it was done. So I'd write songs really fast. Mm, nice. I'd, you know, I, if I sat down to write a song, I was going to finish that song before I stood up. Yeah. Um, wow, that's but, quick. Before you stood up, that's quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now it's like, 
I'll probably be ruminating over a topic for like a month and I'll just write lyrics whenever they, they come to me and then I'll sit down and play. And I, so nice. songs are much more sectional now. I like it. How, how was it working with someone like Tanya Banks? Is that her name? Oh, Tyra Banks? Tyra Banks. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Got her wrong in the top of my head. <laughs> Tyra Banks. Um, she was really nice. Like working with someone you res- like you see and respect and be like, oh my gosh, wow. Well, I mean, so it was a very trippy experience just because, yeah. I mean, I didn't like write a song with her or anything. I taught her a voice lesson. It's cathartic. Um, we cried together. <laughs> <laughs> well, she came with her partner and they were just visiting Eugene. And I got a call from this lesson service that I have a profile on. And they were like, hey, there's somebody in your area who wants a voice lesson day- today. Can you do it? And I was like sure it seems weird yeah um and i was like this must be just like some rich eccentric couple mm-hmm. and then i got the email and it said there was louis and tyra martin and i was like googled it and i saw a bunch of articles about tyra banks and her boyfriend louis martin and i just knew i was like they're coming to my house wow <laughs> and my husband was like no they're not <laughs> clean <laughs> uh well and i was like yeah they are i can tell i know i just know uh, i'm an intuitive person so anyways they came and they did a lesson and it was Super fun, so random. I'm so glad I figured out they were coming before they came. Otherwise, I would have like died. Oh my but god! But I, I was able to just be, you know, really professional. I was really proud of myself because nice. I was able to be totally professional. I honestly don't think they had any idea I knew who they were, wow. um, even up till the end of the lesson. Um, I didn't take a picture with them until like they had already asked to take a video with me, and so I was like, they don't even know. That's so I cool. Rock. That's pretty cool. <laughs> It was really, really fun. I don't think I'd be able to do that. Like if I if I had to like a, a like if someone was in the area and I could do a pod like a podcast with someone who's like really big, I'd be like, oh my god, thank you for everything you do in the whole world. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. I'm really it, happy. It was it was really cool. It yeah. was fun. So. I mean, also I think honestly my favorite part was I was on a video call with my sister when I got the email, mm-hmm. and then I did the quick Google search, and I was like, Tyra Banks is coming to my house. Esther, I gotta go. And she was like, Yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> just didn't believe me. And then later that night, she texts me being all sassy and is like, so did Tyra Banks come to your house? And I texted her the picture and I said, you tell me. Oh, that's gold. <laughs> it was like just so satisfying. Nice. That's hilarious. Do you have any upcoming music or something you want to plug? Yeah. Well, um, I've got an upcoming show in February. Um, tickets are on my website at Hannah Sophia with a PH uh, music.com. And I'll put a link um, in the description. Uh, yeah. And then we're also doing a... Um, I, I just recorded a new song called The Talk um, that's going to be coming out. I'm recording the music video in February. Nice. It talks about my relationship with my parents and going no contact um, with my dad. So it's pretty intimate and like personal, but um, it's an awesome song. So I'm really excited to share it. I like it. That's, is, your, is your show going to be here in Eugene? Uh, yes. So it's up kind of by... 30th on like spring boulevard so the address and everything is on um nice my website do you like singing and like making your own music or do voice teaching more um voice lessening honestly i i think i'd go crazy if i didn't have a little bit of both nice. um um and i i also like paint and sculpt and do a lot of art stuff nice. um so i get really bored do you take on new clients like if someone listening wants to sing better yeah they can go to songsmithstudio.com i have pretty limited openings um but I'm always, you know, happy to have either people on a wait list or if I have an opening that works for them. Um, nice. I have more daytime openings. My after school hours are nice. very competitive. <laughs> wait, you go to school? 
my husband is in school, but no, I, the oh, after so school hours, during. like three yeah. 30, I, I don't teach weekends and I stop teaching at five 30. So nice. like that three 30 to five 30 setting boundaries all up in here. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we first moved here, you know, it was like, a year of kind of scrambling and then after a year after my studio got full i raised my prices and cut my hours so nice go me that's freaking awesome bitch. yeah really though congrats <laughs> and you're in your early to mid 20s yep it's great that's cool very happy for you looking forward to seeing where you're going i'd love to have you back on in yeah, a while sure cool thank you very much <laughs>